This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Ray Shapak. I'm the CFO of iManage. You're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. How as a finance leader are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Ken Ostring, CFO and the soon-to-be CEO of Confirmit, a software company based in Oslo, Norway. The, uh, at the end of March this year, I'm, I'm assuming the, the CEO position of, of Confirmit, and I'm, I'm very excited about that. And you know, having a a, a a decade of you know in the in the business as CFO puts me in a very good position to to be able to kind of drive this business together with the, with the rest of the Confirmit team. You know, I have, have ten offices in in seven countries, and we got more than ninety percent of our revenue coming outside the Nordics. Listen to our complete interview with Ken after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking with Ken Ostring, CFO of Confirmit, a company specializing in voice of the customer software. Ken, welcome. Thank you. We should mention uh, Ken just returned from a business trip uh, to New York, and he's back at the uh, Confirmit uh, headquarters today near Oslo, Norway. It's nice to be speaking to a European-based CFO. And uh, Ken, we always like to begin by asking uh, our guests to share a little bit about themselves and specifically what were those experiences they believed helped prepare them to be a CFO. All right. Okay. So I wanted to start out by, you know, the very beginning where I started out by learning the basics. I, I really, you know, during that period of time, enjoyed the power of truly understanding the business drivers and the actionable insights this gave to, to drive the, the right decisions. So, you know, when I was still, you know, young and up the learning curve, I worked uh, for a $300 million, you know, revenue data distribution business that was ago, about to go public. and. Uh, I must really say that, you know, working on those IPO preparations, you know, with a, a great experienced finance leader at that time, he was, you know, his name was Morton Ewers, and he's been a mentor for me since, you know, he really inspired me and, and triggered my, my, my career ambitions. So, you know, thinking about like milestones that really made a difference, uh, you know, that are kind of the, the, the two ones that really stands out in the, in the early um, part of my career. After I had like four years, 
years in the Internet Division uh, of Telenor, you know, that had operations in, in 10 countries uh, and, and still, you know, I participated in those IPO preparations as well. You know, after that experience, I was ready to take the next step. And uh, at that time, I, I became CFO of, of uh, a listed company when I was uh, 32. So I would say that's kind of like the, the three, you know, really milestones looking back at my, my career so far. We don't always ask about the very early years of a guest's career, but I'd like to ask you about those years just to understand how they might be similar or different to what uh, finance executives experience here in the States. When I was done with, you know, post-secondary uh, school and my military service in, in Norway, we have a, you know, a, 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 we had at that time a compulsory military service. So I had a surgeon course and, and, and had my year up with the Russian border for a year. And when that was done, I, I, I did my, um, my, uh, my bachelor in, in business administration for uh, the Norwegian School of Management. And, uh, uh, you know, w w when I finalized that, I said, all right, uh, it, it's business. That's that's kind of my direction for sure. And uh, then it was like, you know, some good advice I got all along is that, you know, you, you need to really understand the basics. Make sure you, you, you know accounting well. Make sure you have a, 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 a good understanding of of how I, you know, a, a P&L and a balance sheet and cash flow and all that basic works. Then you can take the next step. So tell us something about uh, what it's like being a finance leader from Norway. What sets this leadership role apart from uh, your peer finance leaders, say, here in the States? You know, um, if I look back at my, you know, various positions, it's been it's been quite international from, from day one. I when I during my four years with Telenor, you know, we had subsidiaries in in ten different countries where, you know, we had to adapt to the various cultures and uh, and uh, and, uh, and and a way of doing businesses vary a lot. If you go to Eastern Europe versus you know the Western part of Europe, and and of course uh, we have experienced that that Asia is, is is quite different as well. So that's probably you know one of the the uh, the biggest differences you know if you're kind of holding a finance leadership position in in in, in a small country compared to Americas is that you'll definitely have to deal with a lot of countries so just to take an example you know and confirm it but I've headed up a CFO since uh, 2005, you now have have 10 offices in in seven countries, and we got more than 90% of our revenue coming outside the Nordic. So, you know, if you if you if you work in a you know an European business, it's it's probably more likely that you'll you'll have you know subsidiaries and and and, and business relationships in 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 other countries compared if you work in Americas. When you arrived there, were you the CFO or did you come in at a at a less uh, senior position? So uh, I, I was recruited in as, as CFO in 2005. Uh, the company was uh, uh, planning to go public, uh, and uh, so they recruited in a new CFO and a new CEO. So I was the new CFO, and I had had you know been a CFO in another listed company before, so I had that experience. The same was uh, the CEO that was uh, recruited at the same time. He came uh, heading up a you know a another listed company before joining Confirmit. So this happened. In, in 2005, so we we, we we went public in 2005, and uh, uh, we were actually taking private again in in 2008, and we've been in you know, a privately held company uh, since. 
changed? How did the business environment change that it was best for the company to go private? Uh, you know, basically what happened is that, you know, um, it was an, uh, an, a, a, a shareholder that, that saw kind of a, a, a big potential for the business and, and, and decided to put a bid on the business. And, uh, you know, that shareholder has gradually in, uh, increased his shareholding during a couple of years. And uh, uh, when he passed a certain threshold, he was forced to give a bid on the, you know, entire um, uh, entire shareholdings of, of, of the company and uh, uh, you know that's due to stock regulations and uh, eventually you know he had to raise his bid uh, you know once or twice and, and then he, he, he got the full control of the business and uh, you know I, I must say you know I've, I've worked you know for you know like chief oppositions in, in, in different um, listed companies and uh, there are pros and cons, of course. If you're a listed company, you have a very close contract to the capital market. If you're if you're a privately held business, uh, you you can you know be a little bit more long term, have a little bit more long term focus on on operating the business. So um, Confirm it now has ten offices in seven countries, and uh, we have a very solid development in our business. We've been profitable for more than a decade, and we have uh, funded five uh, acquisitions by cash flow from operations during my time with the business. But uh, of course, you know, being an international software company means that we're operating in a, a very uh, competitive uh, landscape with rapid changes. So we we always had to kind of be in the forefoot and 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 you know. Uh, drive innovation to to be able to deliver a continued uh, new value to, to all clients. Now, this type of applications area is known as uh, voice of the customer software. It's a segment uh, Gartner defines as combining a number of traditionally siloed technologies that are associated with the capture, storage, and analysis of customer feedback. But uh, let me ask you, Ken, to tell us a little bit about uh, what specifically are Conformit's offerings in this space and what actually, uh, what's the value Conformit brings here? We're helping our clients to drive, uh, you know, business processes. Uh, so they can get a a, a return uh, on uh, their investment in terms of improving the customer experience for their clients. So uh, an example, uh, an, an insurance company uh, needs to have a ongoing dialogue with its clients and listen to its clients. You don't then you don't want to send out an annual study to a, an insurance. Uh, you know, client. You want to have a an ongoing relationship with that client. So whenever you know uh, the client, uh, a, a client of an insurance company has been, you know, in contact with its its insurance company. You know, it could be after you have a claim or whatever. Then you just want to kind of have an interaction on an ongoing basis to ensure that you're getting the proper feedback from your clients and that you can act upon that insights you're getting uh, from the clients. So if, if 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 I have an insurance claim and the insurance company calls me a you know a year later and asks me how 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 was it you know are you happy and I said you know can't remember I don't know no I was not I, I kind of by the way I'm not a client. 
anymore, you know? So that is to ensure that you have an ongoing good communication with your clients so you can the clients can share their experience and so the insurance company can can listen to their clients. So that's what we call, you know, voice of the customer. And what we've seen is that a lot of our clients are getting huge return of that investment because it definitely keeps their clients more happy and it, it reduces churn and it helps them to take action to improve their offering offering to their clients. But what are those key metrics that you're looking at to make sure the company's performing the way it should be? All right. So, so you know, key metrics, you know, being a, 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 a growth company, of course, I would say that revenue growth is, is by far uh, the key metric. And, you know, pipeline development is, is of course, the, the leading indicator. So I always look at the sales reports, you know, first thing in the morning <laughs> before my first cup of coffee, because, you know, strong pipeline means you're, you're in a good path to, to continued revenue growth. Um, I would say, you know, how the company's performing in terms of, you know, cost base, you know, in a software company is, 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 is driven by the people. So, you know, that's not hard to manage. Uh, but talking about people, you know, be, being a software company, you know, getting the right people on the team is, is very important. So employee retention rate is, is something we, we keep a, a close eye on. So having uh, the right people on the bus is, is very uh, important for us. So we're quite proud of uh, our uh, average tenure uh, with the business, uh, which is close to seven years now. Ken, we always like to ask for uh, some finance uh, strategic moments, aha moments. These are moments of strategic insight that you've experienced along the way. What would you share with us? I would like to point out that, you know, in my time at Confirm It, we've, we've done five acquisitions and uh, growing the business through acquisitions sounds easy, uh, but I'd say uh, the really hard work starts when the, when the deal has closed and uh, uh, the integration work starts. Um, this is extremely important because as we all know, in, in general, uh, I think there is like 80% of acquisitions that don't live up to the expectations. So I'd like to use an example from Confirm its first acquisition. That's the one we did in 2007. In order to make it a good story, you need to be visible. You need to spend time uh, with, with, with the team members you're getting on board and, and you need to have an open-minded uh, uh, approach and, 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 and really in, invest in being there. So to just put an example, what we did is that we put our, um, we, during that acquisition in 2007, we got on board, uh, you know, 80 team members in, in, uh, in Russia. Uh, we didn't have any experience with, uh, with a Russian uh, organization. So we took our own R&D team, we put them down in, in, in Moscow and Yaroslav for a week where they could, you know, interact with their peers, they could, you know, play some soccer, they can do some programming, they could drink some, drink some beer and socialize and build trust. So you just need to invest in building trust because, you know, the learning curve, if, if, if you're not present, if you, you just create a lot of insecurity. And the feedback we've got after uh, the acquisitions we've done is that we've been there, we've really made sure that they're very visible 
not like a policing exercise, but you know, from a business development perspective, we truly need to understand how how they've been successful. And obviously, when you acquire a company, you do it normally because you 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 want to you know continue to uh, build up on the success in the business um, that's been acquired. So you know, I, I would say you know, in, invest time and 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 make sure you you. You go into the approach, you know, from a business development perspective and not from a policing exercise. Were your other acquisitions, were they from uh, multiple different countries? Oh, yeah. So we, we, we've done uh, acquisitions in, in, in several countries, and this is a bit unusual for being a Norwegian uh, software business. Uh, the first acquisition we did was, uh, like I said, the Pulse Train in 2007, where we gained um, team members from both UK and Russia. We had a UK office at that time, but still we got more people on board in the UK. Then some years later, we did an acquisition uh, in, um, in Canada, up in uh, Vancouver. Uh, that was followed by uh, the year after an acquisition of a Silicon Valley-based company called Customers.com in 2012, and uh, we had a uh, an acquisition of a, a small tech-based business in uh, in another Norwegian city that again had an operation in China. So we got our Chinese office in Chengdu, and a couple of years back we we uh, did an acquisition in in Sydney in Australia. So uh, I would say you know we're we're truly global now. We're we're having you know in clients in in more than 60 countries, and we are basically covered in in all time zones so if you're sitting in Oslo you got Sydney 10 hours time zone one way and we got uh, California nine hours the other way so it's very easy to talk with colleagues and, and clients during the entire day you have this wonderful point of comparison now and having acquired companies in all of these countries uh, can can you share with us which one perhaps had uh, you know was the greatest complexity I, I would say kind of the the, the most complex one was probably the first one in terms of that we got on, uh, you know, the Russian team on board, uh, where we at that time had experienced quite limited English skills within the Russian team members. We had, of course, some great team leads that are absolute, were absolutely fluent. Uh, but you know that that was a that was a, a a pretty pretty challenging one. But you know we, we made it right, and we're very happy uh, we 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 completed it. Uh, from a pure transactional perspective, I would probably say that the. Uh, the Silicon Valley acquisition uh, we did in, in 2012 was uh, um, was challenging, not from a a a, a um, business perspective, but more from a transactional perspective, as uh, it was. Uh, uh, a private equity that, that spun off several businesses. So we had a period of time with some shared infrastructure. So that was, you know, from a more operational and, and structural uh, point of view, uh, quite quite demanding. I'm curious as to what you've been looking to add here. Is it is it uh, uh, are these competitors direct competitors or no? Are these allowing confirm it to expand its offerings perhaps uh what was the nature of these acquisitions yeah i would say out of the five acquisitions we did uh, i'd say that um uh three of them were technology driven uh, while two of them were more market driven so on the uh, technology driven ones and uh, that was more to broaden our product 
portfolio and, and, and make our solution offerings even more robust and, and scalable. Uh, um, the two market-driven ones were more to kind of, you know, gain an even stronger market momentum uh, in, in, you know, what we saw as our core markets. Should we expect to see uh, you folks do another acquisition within the next 18 months? Yes, I would expect us to do more, but we're doing the uh, acquisitions for the for the right reasons. We're not in a build-to-sell mode where we are just pumping up some revenue to make it look good. Whenever we do an acquisition, we're doing it with the intent to do a fully integrated, both from a product and organizational perspective. So um, whether it's going to happen... Um, uh, now in 2017 or, or next year, uh, you know, we don't know yet, but there is a steady flow of uh, M&A opportunities that we're evaluating, but we, we just want to make sure that we're doing the right type of acquisitions for the right reasons. Okay, we now come to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions uh, meant to inspire and, and mentor aspiring finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? You know, uh, being a CFO, you know, for many years now, uh, what really inspires me is, is you know, if, if you're a CFO, you can truly impact the direction of the business. You know, you have to use your time thinking about the future and not fixing the past. Of course, you need to have, you know, all processes and procedures in place so you don't have to fix the past. So that is like a 20% as is an 80% forward thinking. I think that that's what really inspires me. And I must say that's actually what, what draw, drove me into my, my new position as well. At the uh, at the end of March this year, I'm I'm assuming the the CEO position of, of Confirm it, and I'm I'm very excited about that. And you know, having a a a, a decade of you know in the in the business as CFO puts me in a very good position to to be able to kind of drive this business together with the, with the rest of the Confirm team. Well, uh, congratulations! You now belong to that small, rather exclusive group of uh, CFOs that have actually crossed uh, the C-suite into the CEO office, and I, I'm now obligated to find out more. Uh, so I want to ask you to, if you would, to reveal uh, what it was you believe uh, that that allowed you to move beyond finance. It's not been a day in Confirmate where I've not worked with sales or, you know, the sales organization. So, you know, uh, it's probably fair to say that I've been, you know, um, very aimed towards the kind of the, the, the business development side of the business. You know, how can we drive this business forward? What can we do? And not necessarily, you know, spending, you know, being too focused on, on uh, you, you know, um, uh, the history of the business. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think kind of like the the business orientation is probably one of the drivers that I've I've had, you know, through my uh, entire career. I very much like, you know, working, you know, with the financials and the number side because that really, you know, if if you know the business metrics well, uh, you, you know, you know which actual insights, you know, we we, we have to deal with and, and and how we can, you know, take it forward. So. Um, whether it's been there all the way along, I don't know. But I, what I just want to kind of point out here is that, you know, that I'm taking over for um, Confirmity now. It it means that you know I'll I'll continue to build Confirmity's continued success on 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 the solid fundament we have in the business today because this is like an evolution. I've been working very closely with the CEO and the board of directors during these 11 years and. Um, 
uh, I will definitely continue to build upon you know that strong momentum we have in the marketplace today. So it's um, you know uh, it's a uh, good story so far, and I'm, I'm I'm very much looking forward to you know the next 20 years in in, in the company's uh, history, and we'll continue to do smart acquisitions with you know profitable operations and and continued investment in in further product development to to drive innovation in the marketplace. You specifically mentioned sales, and and we do hear frequently that finance leaders are spending more of their time uh, these days with the sales team, but can you shed some light on what role uh, finance is playing in that respect when it comes to helping sales, and is it is it is it properly incenting sales uh, to pursue the deals that make sense for the health of the firm? We we are so so Jack, you're 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 spot on because what I'm doing and I've been doing for for many years is that I've been working closely, you know, with the sales leaders to you know establish uh, you know what kind of or what kind of behavior do you want to drive in the sales organization? And then we need to build a compliance that that kind of uh, incentivize uh, uh, that behavior. And, and that could be anything from you know making sure that you're 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 being compensated at the at the right levels for new versus existing clients, or what how do you compensate overperformance in a quarter or um, multi-year contracts or certain products or spit or you know so 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 that that's a, a a very good conversation I'm you know having you know through the year with with the sales leadership is you know how can we change behavior if you can see something doesn't work if you can see the sales guys are are, are not kind of paying attention to certain areas where we would like to be you know more focused at then we need to make sure that that they, they are compliant you know drives them in the in, in, in the right direction I want to ask you about how you're going to go about filling uh, the CFO position that's now opened, as well as how you built a strong relationship with your CEO over time. But I'm going to save those uh, questions to the end, and we'll come back to them. And right now, I want to finish up with our mentoring round questions, which brings me to what is that piece of advice you'd offer other finance leaders who are now entering the CFO office for the first time? Mm, no, so, so, you know, the the best uh, advice uh, I got and that I try to live up to every day is is management by example if 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 you wanna if you wanna drive the right behavior you know within a group of people you need to stand up in front and, and do it yourself so um it, it's you know if you wanna if you require energy from your team members, you got to deliver more energy than them. You always need to kind of be a good example and do management by example, because your team members they will pick up on what and do what you're doing and not what you're saying. And um, that was one of the um, you know early finance leaders I, I worked for you know in, in, the, in the first days of my career. Uh, he always stood up as a rock solid, hardworking uh, person, and. Um, and that made everybody around him, you know, uh, you know, inspired to to follow and 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 put in what's needed to be successful. Right now, do you have a, a personal habit that you believe has contributed in some ways to your professional success? Uh, well, 
my personal habit is that I'm, 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 you know, by nature uh, quite positive. I, you know, uh, and that's probably not, you know, very does not necessarily always go hand in hand with, with, with you know, the the, the finance uh, thinking. But you know, uh, that's kind of my, my my thinking. I've always been quite positive in 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 approaching, uh, you know, either you know issues or or, or challenges or or, or opportunities. Uh, realistic, but but the genuine positive can do attitude. Don't go anywhere. We're about to ask Ken about uh, how he's going to go about filling that CFO role that's now open and uh, ask him for some tips about uh, how to collaborate with your CEO right after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Meanwhile, you uh, must now face uh, the challenging uh, task of filling uh, your role filling and finding a finance leader. What would you, what would you tell us about that? We've just started a recruiting process for my uh, new CFO, and uh, since you know we, we just recently uh, announced that I'm, I'm I'm taking over as CEO, confirm it. We're uh, we've not yet you know uh, recruited my my replacement as as a CFO. So that's a a process going on these days, and. Uh, uh, we we're not in a rush. It's very important for us to get the the, the right candidate in place. I'm sorry. What time frame? When do you become CEO? Is it is it June? Uh, yeah. Now, so I'll, I'll I'll assume the new position at the at the end of uh, March this year. Okay. Uh, so it's it's a very undramatic leadership change and confirm it. You know, there is no disruption in the business. Uh, the, the current CEO Henning Hansen that I worked closely with for 11 years now, he's decided to uh, to uh, to uh, to uh, to resign and due to a lifestyle change. So he's not taking up another position. He's taking taking up like two or three board positions, and he just wants a different life. He's he's been traveling very heavily for the last 25 years, and and he he wanted to prioritize differently in his personal life. So there is a, there is a you know, a very little dramatic change. So, you know, I'll continue to build confirmed success on, on, on what we have in the business today, which is very solid. The intrigue here is, is big because in some ways, I think other finance leaders would hope to have what you achieved, which is a great collaborative relationship with your CEO over the years. So much mm. so that in some ways, perhaps he prepared you to, to step into the CEO role, perhaps. 
Well, it's you know, in order to have a a a, a great collaboration with, with a CEO, you know, uh, you you need to be kind of seeking what I call you know uh, new opportunities for kind of development of the business. You know, you need to kind of proactively contribute, help you know, driving the strategy forward, and and not just kind of be be one that controls the accounts. So, um, but again, like you know, when we're working closely with with, with someone, it, it's very much down to you know, you know, uh, uh, personal relationship and and see that you're going well along because you know, after all, you know, when you're spending, I don't know, ten hours at work every day with a person, you you, it needs to be a, a good match actually, a good fit for a professional relationship. Ken Ostring, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you, Jack. It's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever-so-short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching, and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply.